My name is Fred. I am uh, the lead pastor here, and I am uh, glad that you're here with us. If I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in, I would love to, to get to know you on the way out. Um, I'm going to start off today with a, uh, a premise, a scenario, a question, if you will, uh, and I want to see if y'all agree with me, if y'all think this is true. What if I told you that I think everyone in this room is carrying with them an invisible backpack of unnecessary weight. Now, some of you, your, your backpack is heavy, and some of you, it's light, so the weight varies from person to person. And here's the other deal about this weight. Um, oftentimes, you don't even know how much weight you're under until it's gone. That's when you know. Would you believe me if I said that's true? Well, here's another way that you can know if it's true. You actually know people who have found a way to live without this weight. And here's what happens when you're around them. When you're around them, they are joyful, they are happy, and when you leave their presence, you're glad that you have spent time with them, but you're also a little annoyed at just how dadgum happy they are. Right? You're annoyed at how joyful and how free they feel. And, 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 and the, the weight that's on you tries to tell you that their joy isn't real, right? That their joy is, is seasonal, that their joy uh, is fake, that their joy is manufactured in some way. The weight that's on you convinces you that their joy can't be your joy. And so let me ask you this. Anybody feel a weight pressing down on your life? If you're still not convinced, let me help you identify it, right? Let me help you answer this question. Let me give you some symptoms. And if you say yes to any of these, any of these have a certain amount of weight with them. Do you ever have bursts of anger? Do you have a hard time showing and feeling empathy towards others? Do you keep getting sick for no real reason? Do you keep a mental record of how your spouse, your roommate, your friends, or your coworkers have hurt you? So do you keep a mental record of how people have hurt you? Do you not like who you are? Do you find yourself being cynical, always seeing what's wrong in people? Do you struggle with bitterness? Do you complain about things beyond your control? You see, any of these, any of these will make you feel heavy. Now, you may not be sure what the heaviness is, but now you're kind of for sure that it's there. Well, today, what we're going to do is we're going to identify the source of that heaviness. But y'all, more importantly than identifying the source, we're going to talk about how to be rid of that heaviness forever. Would anybody in here like to be rid of that heaviness? Well, let's open up our Bibles and see how. Shall we? We'll be in Luke chapter 23. We're going to be, it says verse 33. Oh, it's a way to go, Beth. Change it. Verse 33 through 34. I was going to go all the way through 38, but, but I ran out of time. Not in writing the sermon per se, but in, I knew how long I can keep your attention. And so I, I reached that point. So, uh, so we're only going to do 33 and 34. But as you're turning there, and, and by the way, if, if you don't have a Bible, I would love for you to bring a Bible. If you don't own one, there's some in front of you, and it's on page 732 in that Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please take that one with you as our gift to you and bring it back with you every Sunday. 
Um, uh, we also are on the Bible app, and you can use the Bible app under events and under Fellowship Asheville, and, and everything is there. There's even questions there to consider uh, as, you're, as you're thinking about this message later. Uh, and let me explain to you a little bit what we're doing between now and Easter. We have been going through the book of Revelation. We, we started with the first three chapters looking at the letters to these churches, um, and uh, we're calling that series Breakthrough, because, because our hope is that everybody experiences breakthrough as we go through the book of Revelation. That's what all the, the mirrors up there are for. It kind of captures breakthrough, and, and uh, as I've said before, if, you're, if, you're, if Fellowship Asheville is your home, your name is on the back of one of those pieces of mirror, and you have been prayed for to experience breakthrough as we go through Revelation. Um, now, we started that eight-week series just looking at those churches of Revelation. I had planned eight weeks of it. We looked at those. Uh, we started those in January. Um, here we are uh, ha- uh, in March, and we're only about halfway through. We took a Sunday off for Baptism Sunday, and now we're taking seven weeks off of it to, to focus on Easter. Uh, we'll pick it back up in May, and then we'll keep going in Revelation until we're done. But I just want to confess to y'all that Breakthrough, this little eight-week series to start off the book of Revelation, has been the most shattered series I've ever done, right? Typically, I start a series, and I like to end a series, and this one is just going on. I, I don't know what God is doing. I don't know if he thinks we need more time for Breakthrough or if it's best to take Revelation in small bites. I don't know. But whatever he's doing, I'm good to go with it. Are y'all? All right, let's just do it, because here, here's, here's why I, what, what I wanted to do for Easter. A few years ago, um, I, I don't know how else to describe this other than the fact that Easter just snuck up on me, right? Like, like our faith is based on the resurrection. If the resurrection didn't happen, the Bible says we are all fools, right? It is the anchor of our faith, and I what I've learned is it's good for me, and I'm assuming it's good for y'all too, to to take time before Easter and contemplate Easter and prepare our hearts and souls for Easter so that when Easter Sunday approaches, like we are, we are ready and it is a celebration. And so what I want to do is I want to take these, these seven weeks before Easter and prepare our hearts for Easter. I wanted to spend some time considering the life change that's available to us in our faith, in Christianity, because y'all, Jesus does change lives. He's changed my life. I know that he's changed some of your lives, and, and, and that's what he does. And during this series, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the seven statements that Jesus said when he was on the cross, at least the seven ones that we have recorded that he said when he was on the cross. But here's what we're going to do. We're not just going to look at the statements he said on the cross. We're going to look at them through the fact of an empty tomb. We're going to look at them knowing how, the, how this how this, how this story plays out. Do you know why we're doing that? Because we can't. That's why we're doing it. You see, the disciples, when they followed Jesus, they didn't have the end picture in mind. Jesus did, but they didn't. We do. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at these seven statements that Jesus said on the cross, and we're going to look at it through the lens of an empty tomb, because what we're going to see is it's that empty tomb that gives us this full life. And Jesus speaks from the cross about this full life that's available to us. And what we're going to see is how this, this rugged cross, which is one of, I love that hymn, an old rugged cross. But we're going to look at how this rugged cross in an empty tomb gives us this full life. And in particular today, what we're going to see is how Jesus' words from the cross speak to that heaviness that I talked about. 
and they give us a full life by and it gives us a full life by releasing us from that heaviness that ties us down. Well, let's see the context of Jesus's first statement up on the cross. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter twenty-three, verse thirty-three, and, and Luke says this: "And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him." And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left side. And so what Luke is doing here, this is the Gospel of Luke. Luke actually wasn't one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, he came on a little bit later. And, but what he is, is he is a doctor. And so, so he's very much into, into research and very much into facts and very much how, into how one thing affects another. And so what Luke did is he interviewed people that had been with Jesus and been in Jesus' ministry. And so, so, so his Gospel is a recount of all these interviews and he's putting it together to for this guy to assure him of his faith and 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 to give him this robustness in his faith and and what Luke does is he shows us that that when Jesus was crucified he was crucified between these two criminals and and what I'm not going over I'm just going to give you a synopsis real quick is is how Jesus got there like like listen to the last 24 hours of Jesus's life before he was on the cross between these two criminals in the last 24 hours he had been betrayed for money, right? Somebody, somebody was paid to turn Jesus over to the authorities. He was arrested. He was interrogated. Uh, he, was, he went through uh, trials with false evidence. People bold-faced lied. He was denied by one of his best friends, by Peter. Then he was questioned uh, three times. He was beaten up. He was beaten up again. So he's beaten up, he was questioned, and then he was beaten up again. And this time when he was beaten up, he wasn't just hit. He was whipped with what's called a cat of nine tails. And if you've ever seen what a cat of nine tails is, picture a whip like Indiana Jones. But at the end of that whip are nine other whips at the end of it. And at the end of those whips are, 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 are frays of leather. And so with each whip, it is like getting hit by, by uh, 81 whips instead of just one. And so he was beaten with that. He was then sentenced to death. After his sentencing, he was mocked by the people that were around him. He had to carry his own cross a grueling distance, then to be helped by a bystander. He was stripped completely naked, nailed to a cross, lifted up for everyone to see, and then placed between two convicted criminals. Now, the reason I say all that is to give us the context for where Jesus is. If anybody could hold a grudge, right? If anybody uh, could be bitter or angry or cynical or complaining or keeping a record of wrong in this moment, it would be our Jesus. And there's something in us that wants the next verse to say this. Father, cast down fire from heaven on them because they, of all people in all generations, deserve it. Right? There's something in us that would be delighted if Jesus said this. That heaviness that's in us and on us, not in us, but on us, wants Jesus to say this. But this isn't what he says. Look at what he says instead. Verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Now, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and answer today's message, and I'm going to tell you how to get rid of this, the, the, the heaviness that causes the bitterness and complaining and hardness of heart and anger and even some sickness, because, because what we're going to do as we go through this series is I'm going to put a word from each one of the statements up on the cross just so we can see it, and the word for today is what? Forgive. That's our word for today, and, 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 and Martin Luther King Jr. said this about forgiveness, and we're going to see it played out in the scriptures today, that forgiveness isn't an, an occasional act, it is a constant attitude. You see, Jesus didn't hold a grudge, and he didn't call fire down from heaven, he didn't grow bitter, he didn't become entitled, he, he, instead he did something else. He looked at the people that were hurting him, and he forgave those who could have been judged, who could have been found guilty, who could have been punished. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus' words as he was hanging on that cross, and we're going to glean some truth about forgiveness. And I think when this truth is applied, it will, it will apply to your marriage, it will apply to your friendship, it will apply even to your working relationships. Because what I hope happens is that we all leave this place with some of that unnecessary weight taken off. Now let's look at Jesus' first word that he spoke when he was on the cross. His first word is Father. Right? His forgiveness is a prayer. Right? His forgiveness is a prayer to God. To his God, to our God. The first word Jesus says when he is on the cross is a prayer. And his forgiveness of those uh, who wronged him starts with God. And y'all, we see this pattern all throughout the scriptures. This pattern is for, here to, uh, for us to follow. Because you see, before Jesus was hanging there on the cross, if he were to, to wind the clock back a little bit with his disciples, um, his disciples got a teaching from him on forgiveness that captures this same idea. And, and, and what Jesus did is he was asked this question that I'm going to talk about in just a minute, but he was asked this question that led into this teaching on forgiveness. And what Jesus did is he told this story about forgiveness. He told this parable. And, and the picture that he uses is somebody who got forgiveness all wrong, somebody who didn't do what the Bible says is the pattern of forgiveness. And in Matthew 18, uh, verse 23 through 35, is where we're going to be. And I'm, going to, I'm just going to read it. And you can uh, follow along if you want, or you can turn there. Matthew 18, verse 23, Jesus says this. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. Now, uh, in current times, let's just say he owed $1.5 billion, right? Let's just give it this huge number. That's what Jesus is doing. He's setting up this hyperbole. So this guy comes and he owes $1.5 billion. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. Right? Because who has $1.5 billion laying around? To be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now y'all, is he going to be able to pay back $1.5 billion? No. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Let's just say 150 bucks, right? He owed him 150 bucks. 
And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Now, that should sound familiar. Where did you just hear that? He just said it to the guy that he owed $1.5 billion to. Well, this joker does this. He refused and went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and you should not... Uh, and, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to, to, jailer, to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so here we see this basic principle that Jesus taught his disciples. And I think he's showing us here, even in this statement that he spoke from the cross, even in saying, Father, forgive them. And what this statement is, what this principle is, is this. As we have been forgiven, we forgive. Right? That was the point of this story. This servant was forgiven this huge debt and couldn't even find the gumption to forgive someone a small debt. That is wrong, is what Jesus said. So you see, this is where the empty tomb becomes all the more important because if you were a Jesus follower at the time, I love this. If you were a Jesus follower at the time and, and you were a follower of Jesus and you saw him hanging at the cross, uh, on the cross, forgiveness would be understood a little bit differently to you than what Jesus had been teaching you. Because, because up until that time, forgiveness was cyclical in the way they understood it. Right? Forgiveness had a beginning and forgiveness had an end because every year there was this, this, this day of atonement in their faith, in the, in the Jewish faith. And on this day of atonement, the sins of the nation would be forgiven. The, the, the high priest would exercise this, this sacrifice and the sins of the nation would be forgiven and the sins of individuals would be forgiven. The, 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 the sins that they knew about and the sins that they didn't know about. And so forgiveness had this day. And it was a day that would come every year and you were forgiven until that next day. I mean, until that next year when that sacrifice would happen again. And so forgiveness had this cycle. It had a beginning and it had an end, which is why Jesus told this story about an unforgiving person. Because one of his disciples, Peter, came to him and man, Peter thought he was, he was being so good. He thought he was like the star student because he said, Jesus, how many times do we have to forgive someone? particularly, in, in, in the language it says, particularly, if they have the same offense against me. So if they do the same thing to me time and time again, how many times do I have to forgive them? And Peter, thinking he was being brilliant, said seven times, right? Because seven is a very good biblical number, isn't it? When you see seven in the scriptures, it means complete and whole. And, and man, you just know Peter thought he was doing it right, right? Because in Peter's mind, forgiveness has a beginning and forgiveness has an end. And what Peter is saying is that when this guy or this woman sins against me seven times, forgiveness can end, right? Well, Jesus' response is to say, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, this infinite number. And then he tells the story about the ungrateful servant. And so in other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, when God stops forgiving, you can stop forgiving. That's, that's our model. And in, in other words, 
Jesus is telling Peter this, that forgiveness doesn't have an expiration date. Right? Now, y'all, we, we just moved. We, we sold our house. We, we moved. We want to build our next house. Uh, here, here's, here's the truth about me is I hate moving. Right? I would be fine to be in the same house all my life, but there are certain things that I do like about moving. That I, Well, there's certain things that I will joyfully tolerate about moving. And it is, you get to purge, right? You get to get rid of stuff. Um, here's what I discovered. Our family apparently loves holding on to certain things uh, with expiration dates. For example, medicine in the back part of the cabinet, like ibuprofen. Not so far back that we haven't been using it, but apparently far enough back that we don't pay attention to the expiration date, which was like three years ago, right? Jars in the, pan- in the refrigerator of certain things. Apparently, we like keeping those past the expiration date. Clothes in the back of our closet, even though there may not be an expiration date stamped on the back of them, there's still an expiration date on them. And apparently, we like to keep them. Here's the deal with those things, though. Those things just look good past the expiration date, right? Forgiveness is good because there is no expiration date. And that's the difference. That's what Jesus is saying, that forgiveness keeps being good because it doesn't have an expiration date, which is why in the midst of all this suffering, when Jesus prays and he says, Father, his prayer is forgive them. Now, what's interesting is in the Greek language, there are three different words for forgive. One word means the forgiveness of like this benevolent king that grants forgiveness to uh, to his subjects. It's, it's one with power that gives forgiveness to those without power. The other word uh, for forgiveness is what is, is used when you're releasing a slave from bondage, right? That whatever has caused them to be a slave, they are now forgiven of that and they are set free. Either one of those words, Jesus, it would have been great for him to use. It would have been very appropriate. He didn't use that word. He used another word. Ironically, he uses the same word that Peter used when he asked the question, how many times do I have to forgive my brother who sins against me seven times? He uses that exact same word, and this is the word that Jesus uses on the cross. And what that word means, that word means to forgive means to release. That I release you. Now, here's why this is important. Um. In, in Reengage, which is this marriage ministry that we have here, we just did two weeks on forgiveness, and, and in counseling, this question comes up quite a bit too, so it's not just in that context, it's in multiple contexts. The context is, is how do I forgive somebody when, one, they, they haven't asked for forgiveness? Or in some of the worst case scenarios, how do I forgive somebody when the person that I need to forgive has passed away? Now, y'all, that's real stuff. And it's the stuff that Jesus talks about here. Because he says to forgive is to release. Right? Like Elsa, it's to let it go. But here's the deal with Elsa. Uh, She has a great voice. She's not a good theologian. Right? Uh, You're probably lost because of the song. That's fine, that's fine, that's fine. I'll I'll refer to it in a minute and, 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 and we'll be fine. But stay with me because 
what we'll see is that the, 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 the forgiveness that Jesus is talking about, the releasing that he's talking about, is more than what Elsa said. Because here's the, here's the lie that you hear, right? You have an offense, you have an, a, a, a hurt, you have a grudge that you're carrying. I need you to hear me say this. You actually cannot just let it go, right? It is, it is unbiblical, it is unhealthy, and I don't even think your brain is wired to just let it go into the air and see what happens. Because, because you see, after Jesus, Jesus here, after he'd been beaten, he had been accused, he had been convicted, and he had been punished to death by those that he came to save, he looks to heaven and he says, Father, release them. And so what we're talking about is a little different and bigger and I hope more biblical than what Elsa talked about when she's saying, let it go. Because we're going to look through an empty tomb and see Jesus' words. Because we know how the cross ends. We know that even though there is a fade to black on that cross, we know that there is also a glorious light that's coming. And we know that there is a resurrection, that Jesus is raised from the dead. And when he was raised from the dead, he proved that everything he did and everything that he said was true. He proved that we can trust him. Did y'all know that there is more evidence of Jesus' resurrection than there is of the existence of Plato? or of Homer, there's that much we can trust him. So you see, church, the tomb is emptied, and Jesus did raise again. And in doing so, here's what he did. He paid the penalty for our sin. And the penalty for that sin was eternal separation from God, and he removed the power of that sin over our lives. That that sin that so easily entangles you only has the power that you give it, because, because Jesus has done away with that power. And in the gospel, we are released. In the gospel, sin doesn't have a hold of us anymore. Its grip is released. And because of Jesus, God holds nothing against us. Because of the fulfillment of the gospel coming, Jesus didn't hold any offenses against those who accused him and those who convicted him and those who killed him. Because of Jesus, we don't need to hold on to those who accuse us. We don't need to hold on to those who hurt us, who offend us, who even punish us. We can release our grudge, and we can release our offense, and we can release our hurt. Why? Because we have been released because of Jesus. You see, we have been released so we can release those who hurt us. You see, we have been forgiven so we can. All right, I know your body is telling you it's like 1030. It's really 1130. Let's try it again, all right? We have been forgiven so we can, thank you, you're with me again, all right. We have been released so we can release those who hurt us. And so church, let me ask you a question. I'm going to get all up in your business for just a minute, all right. Who are you still holding on to? And it's always a who. It's not a what. You might think it's a what, that they did this to me. But there's always a they behind it. And so who are you holding on to? What offense still plays in your head? What words do you still hear from that person? What pain do you still carry that's caused by him, her, by them? What anguish wakes you up at night? Let me tell you, church, 
they need to be released. And let me point out something about these three words so far that we've gotten through in Jesus' first statement on the cross. And this is the difference between Jesus and Elsa. Because Elsa said what? Let it go. That's what she said. Let it go. Frozen fractals all around, just let it go, right? You can't let it go. Because here's the deal that we see with Jesus. Who is Jesus talking to when he says, Father, release them? Oh, I just gave you the wrong. Who is Jesus talking to? The Father. That's right. Jesus is in a relationship with God that allows him not to let them go, but to give them over to God. You see, you can't let anybody go. You aren't releasing a hurt or an offense. You aren't releasing that person into the air to see what happens because that's not biblical, that's not healthy, and I don't think your brain is even wired to do that. Your brain says, that's not right, that's not true. I think that's not what God intends. Y'all, Jesus is talking to the Father. And so when we forgive, when we release, we aren't just letting go and giving up. We are giving them to God. And we are releasing our hold on them and allowing God to take hold of them. You are releasing them from your hands into the hands of Jesus. And that's what I love about the, the, the or what I find interesting about the story that Jesus told, the parable that he told. The unmerciful servant is the, is the guy who owned the $1.5 billion and didn't forgive the guy for 150 bucks. And, and if you go back and read that story, you can see that the unmerciful servant actually grabbed a hold of that other guy and strangled him. And that's what we do with people who have hurt us. We're just like that unmerciful servant. We want to grab a hold of them and hold on to that offense. And so when you release them, you're releasing them. You're releasing your hold on them so that God can grab a hold of them, which is why Jesus says this, for they know not what they do. You see, the people that, 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 that hurt Jesus, the people that punished him, the people that mocked him, the people, the people that crucified him, they had no idea they were crucifying their Messiah. They had no idea they were crucifying the Savior of the world. As a matter of fact, they thought what they were doing was good, right, and even holy. They could open their Bible and point to verses that we have in our Old Testament that would prove that what they were doing was right, and which is why Jesus could say, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. Now, for you, church, you can release those who hurt you and who offended you and who punish you because they don't know what they're doing. They think they're doing right. Now, is there a time to confront sin? Yes. That is a different sermon for a different day. Right now, I'm talking to you and the weight that you carry because I want you to leave this place lighter than you came in because when you do, then you can actually confront sin and others well. Until that weight is gone, it's going to be a train wreck. And so, yes, there's a place to confront sin, and we'll talk about that another day. Right now, we're talking about the unforgiveness weighing you down that you can release them to God so that you can be free. Because believe it or not, 
Here's what blows my mind, and it's true. I can't think of a time when it's not true. But that those who hurt you and those who offended you and those who punish you, they are already free from you because they think they're right. You're the only one weighed down. You can't and you don't need to convince them otherwise. That's not your job. Church, you release them to God so that you can enjoy the freedom of God. And so church, who needs to be free today? Who needs this weight lifted off? Some of you haven't said yes to Jesus. And I want to tell you what your weight is real quick because it's a little different. Because, because your weight is this, and, and, and I'm believing in the death and, and resurrection of Jesus for you to experience this good and right relationship with God. Until you do that, this is the weight that's on you. And, and another one of Jesus' teaching in John chapter 3, 36, he says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for, the wrath, for God's wrath remains on them. And so when you say yes to Jesus, this wrath is what is removed. This punishment uh, for sin is taken off of you because it was placed onto Jesus. And so you know what you feel when this happens. You know what you feel when you say yes to Jesus and that wrath is lifted off. You feel light and you feel free and you feel relief. And so maybe for you, it is the day to say yes to him. Now, for those of us who have said yes to him, that is the majority of us in this room. And to you, I ask, who are you holding on to? What grudges play in your mind? What hurts keep coming up? What offenses are you holding on to? You see, we have been released And yet, for some reason, we feel like we have to hold on. What would happen today if you released that person to God? What would happen if you said this simple prayer? Jesus, you released me. I release, and you fill in the blank, to you. You released me. I release to you. Now, church, here's what I want us to do. I want you to try this. Today, first service I said this week, but I thought, that's silly. Why not do it right now? Why not leave this place louder than you came in? Try it with one person that you hold an offense to. One person that you can release to Jesus and let Jesus deal with him, her, or them. And then, when you replay what happened, because you will, your mind will go back to that. You, in, in a prayer, you remind yourself that they are in Jesus' hands now, not yours. And tell me if there is lightness there. See if you are released from, what ray, from weight. See if you are released to joy. Y'all, I want to tell you this works. And I will tell you this works because I have experienced it working myself. I've shared with y'all in a sermon when we went through Ephesians called Eclipse and the message uh, about the scripture um, um, uh, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And I talked about a time where death looked good to me. Right? I talked about a time where I had this very fast thought that scared the socks off of me. Because I was thinking about someone who hurt me and I thought if I killed myself and left a note with their name on the note, then they would understand how much they hurt me. 
Y'all, it scared me that my mind went that far and that dark. And it was in that moment that I released them to God because I realized I was holding on to them. I was wanting something from them that they will never give me, nor should they. Like, like it was unfair to them. This isn't about them. This is about me. And I held on to them. And in that moment, I released them into the hands of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you that today I am lighter and I am free and I am joyful because of that. So this works. So y'all, what would happen, just dream with me for a minute, what would happen if we were a church that was known for our ability to forgive? What would happen if our marriages were places of forgiveness and love and acceptance? What would happen if our friendships were places where we released people when they hurt and and offended us? We would be known as a people for our joy, for our freedom, and for our happiness and our lightness, which means we would be annoying as snot to some people, right? But to some, God would use us to see change in their lives because they see the change in our lives. So church, let's be those people. Let's be those people that forgive because we have been forgiven. Let's be those people that have been released by God so we release others from the hurt and offense that they caused us. Are you all in? Let's pray. Jesus, please make us these people. And make us these people of forgiveness. Make us these people that can look like Jesus did of, 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 of those who have hurt and punished us that we can grant them forgiveness because they don't know what they're doing. Give us that kind of faith because you have given us more of Jesus. Let us be a people that don't muster up forgiveness because the Bible says so, but let us be people that forgive because we understand the depth that we have been forgiven. And let that be what moves us into this place of grace and annoying joy Father, in life-changing happiness. In Christ's name I pray, amen.